What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Dapper Villains Podcast. I'm Dana Blue, and as always, joined by my co-host, Jay Such. Dave, Jay, what is going on, brother? I'm very good, brother. I'm having tea instead of coffee. We're doing one of those late-night podcasts, but... Uh, well, you said you did a bunch working. of cocaine right before the show, though, so... <laughs> I'm going to do it after, oh, for tonight. <laughs> so, yeah. Dude, it's, it's fucking being on... It's No. Okay, fine. <laughs> It's a hypothetical uh, question, right? Uh, and it's, a, it's just, just go. This is not true. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Guys, before we get into today's guest, don't forget to subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And we just got word that we are now on the Amazon podcast platform. So if you, oh, have, the nice. Am- Woo! If you have the new Amazon, where, where's the air horns, Jay? Millhouse air horns here. <laughs> so if you just go, uh, if you're on the Amazon podcast platform or you use um, Audible, I believe it is that they're going to be putting it through as well. You can get the Dapper Villains podcast there, and do not forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We put all the video content up over there, and we have been toying with the idea of additional content so hopefully you'll see some of that very soon and instagram dapper villains on instagram jay does some great work busting out clips of the show with our our guy millhouse who edits for us so they're putting up some great clips and you'll be able to get like really the you know these like really interesting seeds from the episode yeah the chunks the The good chunks yeah yeah yeah. we know you're busy we we help you cut cut stuff out but distill it down to the the key points for you guys you know we got a really interesting guest today this is going to be a different type of episode uh we're talking with matt swinney he is the founder of fashion buy and the founder of austin fashion week which is the fourth largest fashion week in america after new york la and miami so now, in this COVID time, you know, a lot of people in the industry are struggling to get their collections in front of people. And so he's actually doing an online show, which is how he got brought to us through one of our previous guests, Ross Bennett, connected him to Jay, back to yeah. us. So we're excited to talk to him, Jay. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, it will give us a very um, unique perspective. And I really wanted to invite this guest because um, I know for a fact that a lot of small brands and uh, custom clothiers listen to our show. Yeah. And I really want to invite people to kind of um, uh, see how they can join and what's, what's this whole uh, fashion show about. I believe, you know, if you are going to Pitiumo, if you go to Pitiumo, or if you, you know, you didn't get a chance to go to, this is one of the opportunities for you to really get into that American market. And I really encourage people to, to uh, Let's jump right into out. it. Yeah, let's do it. Matt, man, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on the show. Now, you run an organization called Fashion Buy, and you've got, you know, Austin Fashion Week, Dallas, you know, all these other ones in Texas. Real quick for the listeners who might not know you, can you just sort of explain that and who you are, how you got into it? Yeah, so I started this company in 2009. Uh, it was actually called Launch 787 at the time, and we were just a big events promotion, events and promotions company. That's all it was, uh, based in Austin. And the very first event we did was Austin Fashion Week. Um, and at the time, 2009, Austin was definitely on the rise. It was a kind of a, a, a young, booming city, uh, much, much smaller than it is now. Um, and really no one had sort of, I, I always say, had hugged the fashion industry, you know, kind of put its arms around everybody. There were some people here, um, but there weren't a lot of them. And each of them were kind of working in their own little pockets. 
Mm. And so we thought, all right, well, Austinites are, you know, they like to go out. It's a young, fun, vibrant city. Um, they like to go to events. How about we figure out something to do with fashion? And most of the runway shows at the time, y'all will think this is hilarious, were basically bar fashion shows, right? So like shut down a bar, have some models walking across the, you know, and it just wasn't, it wasn't professional. It didn't feel right. Like nothing like you'd want to post show. to YouTube. It sounds like another type of club that I may have gone to. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you, you, you've probably seen these shows. Uh, <laughs> they may have been a little more scantily clad though. Um, anyway, so, you know, we really just tried to create... Um, you know, really something to just help, um, you know, push the industry a little mm -hmm. bit. And lo and behold, 11 years later, it's the fourth largest fashion week in the United States, you know, New York, LA, Miami, and then Austin. Um, we launched in Dallas in 2014, 14. Yeah. And then Houston 2016. Um, and really just kind of grown it from there. So fairly large uh, event production company solely focused on fashion now um, in Texas. And then, you know, COVID so there's that um which yeah. is kind of leading us into this like virtual but world Austin that now is such an in. interesting such an interesting market like i i um i come from somebody on the other side of the world trying to sell into america and um like uh new york was way too you know developed to mm. penetrate into there were all the big dogs were already there and stuff um but like austin texas to me in journalists still feels very fresh uh, for our small business to thrive and, and be successful. Yeah, I mean, Texas in general is really pro-business, right? So, um, you know, we've it's always had kind of that perspective, right? Get get company headquarters here and then, and then create jobs and do all of that. Fashion has definitely not been one of those categories, but I will say in Austin, so uh, I don't know, six, seven years ago, there was a big city of Austin study on, um, Austin has a problem. So it's not, it's not particularly diverse. And so what happens is, is you've had, um, tech come in. And so tech is the big industry here and it, it creates all these super high paying jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And it's great. And then you also have these like very, very low level jobs that exist that kind of support tech, right? But you have almost nothing in the middle. So the middle class in Austin essentially doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is, and what every mayor and city council has had to kind of deal with over the last several years is, is how do you help expand out the middle class, make Austin more affordable and kind of just more diverse across the board. So what this study did was it looked at the fashion industry, because I'm sure you guys know the fashion industry is one of the greatest employers of middle-class jobs, right? Yeah. So sewers, pattern makers, whatever the case may be, tailors, um, you know, yes, there can be some high paying jobs, and some low paying jobs, but there's a lot right there in the middle. And so the city of Austin has actually done a really good job. This isn't from a state perspective, but the city has really, you know, tried to fund, they've funded an incubator at Austin Community College for fashion specifically. Um, and they've really tried to fund um, some ideas to help create actual industry. So, um, you know, green tech, you know, sustainable factories, things like that, which I think over time will be super interesting. So, so to Austin's credit, I think, I think because the word fashion has been said a lot, and maybe because we've helped grow, grow a fashion week here that gives it a few more eyeballs outside of Austin. Um, I think, I think you'll see over the next like, you know, 10 to 20 years, you know, Austin really come on the rise of this sort of startup community, you know, how do you incubate fashion in a whole new way, you know, is there cool robotics manufacturing that can happen, mm -hmm. I think you'll see tech and fashion really come together, because the city wants that to happen, right, and if they want to like fund what it. New York is doing with the, the wharf, and the Navy yeah. wharf, and uh, 
you know, in that whole sector over there. Um, but at the same time, like you said, Austin's kind of a tech city. I was a tech guy. I was an engineer in the U S for since I had my first startup actually in 1998. So, you know, thinking in Austin has pretty much been on that sort of like, Oh, if you're not going to the Valley, you want to go somewhere cool, go to Austin. And then, mm-hmm. you know, South by Southwest and, and all this other stuff that sort of happens around there has created this sort of I, brand, I guess is the right word for Austin as a city. And, yeah. you know, I, I had never really thought about it as a fashion kind of city um, until like I, we've been talking to a lot of Texas people lately and Ross Bennett was actually the first one who, you know, and uh, you know, he kind of opened our eyes to a lot of like the sort of menswear scene in Austin. And then we have friends yeah. in uh, Fort Worth who, you know, they have a very intricate menswear scene and fashion scene as well, design scene. And so I, I'm really finding it sort of interesting, especially with like the community college, the incubator that you mentioned. And then obviously you said fourth largest fashion week in America, which is amazing when you think the first ones are New York, LA and Miami. Right, right. And, and I think what, I think one of the things that really makes Austin interesting. So in, it was probably 2000 seven maybe a couple years before we started fashion week a gq writer gq america writer came to austin um nobody knew he was here he was kind of wandering around i don't even know if he was like on assignment or anything and next thing you know uh, there's a blog post or maybe even an article in the magazine Mm. they called austin the worst dressed city in america oh wow they've obviously never been to Pawtucket, rhode island where i grew up (laughs) yeah so well and what's what's funny is is come to find out the writer was here in August. Well, August, I know you'll have a global audience, but August in Austin, it's literally 105 degrees outside. So Fahrenheit, cool? so whatever that is. And uh, no, it's not cool. It's, it's a thousand degrees outside. So, that's you know, like a, in August, it's 105 degrees and Jay's wearing tweed. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at that point, it's just survival of the fittest, right? Yeah. So he's like wandering around like shopping areas. And I mean, you know, people are wearing shorts and flip flops because they just came off the lake or whatever. Mm. And so, no, it's not a fashionable city if you look at it like that. Well, fast forward a little bit. And what's happened is, is all of Austin's growth hasn't been internal, right? It's been these external forces coming in from both coasts. So Mm. you've got Californians escaping wildfires and earthquakes and literally everything that's apparently just going to knock California off the map. Joe Rogan. You know, you, right. Joe Rogan. um, Yeah. Joe Rogan's coming to Austin, right? So he's he's, there already. Yeah. Yeah. I think he is actually here. Um, But, you know, you've got Californians coming to Austin, you've got New Yorkers coming to Austin, you've got politicians from D.C. coming to Austin, Mm. you've got people from the Midwest coming to Austin. So what's happened is, is you've created this, like, hodgepodge of kind of political ideas and, um, you know, Californians, kind of some hippie culture coming Mm. and, you know, more buttoned up East Coast culture coming to Austin. And frankly, I think it's one of the most interesting fashion cities in the world now just because Mm. there is no original right it's all being created Mm. by this group that's coming Mm. and so you have people like like ross who and i think i think ross is actually a great example of this right so ross is like a south texas rancher right Mm -hmm. and so like some days you'll catch him in like boots and jeans and t-shirt and like in quarantine right now he's got like crazy hair if you've seen pictures of him Mm. you know in in a baseball cap and then some days you'll catch him completely, you know, three piece suit and tie and the whole thing. Yeah. And I yeah. think, I think that's really emblematic of what Austin has become. It's sort of this like 
cowboy Texas culture meets California Austin. It, it Austin has a lot of hippie culture too. California Austin hippie culture meets now all of these other outside influences coming in and and locals going oh I you know I like how that person dresses that's from you know, whatever from LA and, you know, and so now these brands kind of look at it and you're exactly right, Dana, that when you talk about Austin as a brand, mm. right, I think Austin has done a very good job, whether intentional or not, of creating this sort of aura around it of this is just the cool place to be. Mm. And you're even seeing it, I mean, even in tech, right? So a lot of companies now are leaving the Valley and where are they looking? They're looking at least at Texas and usually Austin, right? So, I mean, Austin didn't get the the big Amazon deal, but we basically did. That's the thing. Like Amazon mm -hmm. is building a massive, massive new office space here, which is like, going to be the second largest in the world. Google's second largest is in Austin. Mm -hmm. So it's funny. I you it, When you get all that together, and I actually believe over time, because the city's focus on fashion, not only does the city become more fashionable with all of that, but I think you're going to have all these super cool, you know, tech-minded, startup-y folks who go, hang on, fashion is a huge industry, and how can we how can we combine our knowledge of tech with this kind of old school business model, and then what's the future look like for that? And I think you'll see a lot of a lot of that coming out of Texas. Austin really is like the valley. To, uh... I just want to take the first flight to Texas right now, man. You yeah. just sold me. Well, I don't think you're allowed to come. Sorry. Or, or no, you're probably allowed to come. We're just not allowed to come to you because yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can talk no politics if you want. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, y'all are good. We're, yeah. we're the mess, not you. So, you know, Austin is, uh, Austin's, it is very much like the Valley. And like you, Dell is in Austin, right? Mm-hmm. And I, for yeah. me, I remember like in the 90s, I think Dell was the first big tech company that I remember being Austin-based. I don't yeah. know if they so, were the so, first, but they're the first ones I knew of. Yeah, so IBM really um, is who it was, right? So mm -hmm. IBM, you know, obviously leader, leader in the clubhouse as far as like, you know, ultimately, you know, without IBM, Dell would never exist, right? Yeah. So IBM was sort of the, the big one. Um, and funny enough, the old IBM campus is now, it was, it was, you know, out in the pasture, you know, way at the north edge of town. And of course, now it's central Austin. It's where the domain is now, which is like the biggest new development. Basically, our second downtown um, is out there now. But yeah, IBM sort of led to Dell. And then, you know, Michael Dell, you know, really just grooming all of these super interesting tech folks who then leave and create their own startups. And, and there it is, right? That's, that's how it happens. Blizzard is in Austin, right? Blizzard? Uh, Blizzard Gaming. I believe they're Austin-based oh. as well. Oh, are they? I don't yeah. know, actually. Maybe World they are. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they are. Yeah, so you, you know something I don't. <laughs> there's a bunch of, like, so, because I was a tech guy, and I spent, like, my first five years in Thailand still, like, very deeply immersed in the startup space, not just Thailand, but Malaysia as well. And... You know, everyone knows the Valley, of course, but like the people who have been in the game for a minute, they all know Austin. And now the city that's kind of on the tip of everyone's tongue um, as far as like tech is Salt Lake City. Yeah. So, you know, they're sort of like trying, I think they're trying to replicate the Austin model. Which is funny that of all the places, you know, so if you know anything about like politics in the, in the, in America, yeah. you know, it's funny that you know, Silicon Valley started, you know, California, right? So a very liberal left-leaning culture. Mm. And then 
Austin definitely has that within Texas, but Texas absolutely not, right? So mm -hmm. Texas very right-leaning conservative culture and Salt Lake City's in Utah, which is about as conservative as it gets, you know, definitely, you know, built basically by Mormons. I've, I've, I've had a chance um, to visit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so super interesting, right? Like yeah. I, I always think it's- I was it's the only brown odd. man on the plane. I <laughs> <laughs> thought you were going yeah, to you, work there. You might have, you might have been the only brown man in Utah. Yeah, <laughs> very, very likely. Yeah, you know, th there is a dichotomy politically, though, and, and you look at it's funny because if you look at Silicon Valley now, there's a shift, sort of to, I don't want to say necessarily the right, but towards a very hard libertarian stance politically within the valley. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I remember, you know, my first time, you know, like being in Texas and talking about like going there for work. A lot of my friends were like, oh, dude, don't think of Austin like Texas. Think of Austin's like Boston, where I lived at the time. Like Austin is more Boston than it is Dallas. And, yeah. you know, I didn't really, I didn't understand that at the time in my 20s. I was like, yeah, whatever, it's Texas. You know, but now I look at it today and it's, it's become something, this, this very unique tapestry. And I think you sort of touched on that when you said, you know, you've got people fleeing wildfires and earthquakes and, and who knows what else, drought in California. You got Midwesterners who see it as an economic sort of hotspot and people from the East coast coming in and stylistically you've created a tapestry where like, like someone from LA might be like, Oh, the, the way that local guy is kind of rocking that jacket. That looks kind of looks good. But mm. you know, a local guy might be like, you know, that, that funny boy from LA, he got them tight pants on looks nice. Yeah. And wow, I think this that... is the first time I'm, he I'm hearing you uh, <laughs> do accents. Dana. We should do that more often, bro. I, I do an Indian accent every time we hang out. You, no, this bad. You do like the Apu from Simpsons, which is not a real Indian that's accent. Not an Indian that's Indian accent. A, no, that's not. <laughs> I could have sworn but, that's how you talk. That was. That's. <laughs> when you speak, I hear a boo. Maybe Only when I'm drunk. Only when I'm drunk. That's <laughs> but I, but I think that that's part of the misnomer of Austin, right? Like, I mean, when you when you drop into that like Texas accent, I know you're joking, but like, you know, same thing here. Like, funny enough, like. I mean, I grew up in Austin. Do you hear do you hear my accent like that? Probably not. I mean, a little bit, maybe here and there. But like, it's terrible. Speak English, brother. Jesus. <laughs> so I, I can start speaking like a boo. I went to undergrad <laughs> in Kansas, and uh, a lot of the guys who I went to undergrad with, they all aspired to go to Texas, to Austin, to work. And yeah. Because it's tech. It's like you're not going to work in Western Kansas. So, unless you're yeah. working like for a mom and pop shop. So what do you do? Like, well, where's the biggest thing? You can go to Kansas City, Missouri. You could go to, you know, Topeka or like Austin is like the, the holy grail. Yeah, it's like the Mecca. And, and, you know, it's funny you said, you know, Austin is more like Boston. Funny enough, I actually don't think Austin's anything like the East Coast. I think it's much more like the West Coast, right? Mm. So, you know, I, th it's much more conservative in my mind actually in in a place like boston right the mass holes you know that yeah. sort of idea which you know texas is so friendly that's the yeah. thing is definitely more um, friendly people in new england well not in boston or providence i can say that yeah before. yeah he even says boston so so cj you get on me about my accent i mean i don't know boston. i don't know what kind of english dana's speaking but um <laughs> but to coffee. me the <laughs> that's yeah. right that's right you know austin to me is a little more san francisco or seattle than it mm -hmm. is you know, Boston or New York. And I think, and I think that's what, 
I think that's a lot of what, you know, very early on and kind of the advent of Austin, meaning very early on. So over the last 15 years, right, as tech has really blown up, we think of the influx into Austin as being from California. But the reality is, at least recently, I'd say over the last five years, what I've really noticed is anytime I talk to somebody who is kind of new to Austin and you ask, oh, where'd you come from? I'd say four out of five times, it's somewhere on the East Coast. And I think what happened, what's happening, right, is everybody thinks of, in Texas, people think of Austin as an expensive place to live. But by the U.S. standards out, yes, it's expensive by Midwest standards, but it's incredibly inexpensive by the coast standards. Yeah, and so, San you know, Francisco, New York, right? It's, New York, it's nothing, right? Like and so- 2000 a month for an apartment? Hell yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. So that now that's skyrocketed as everyone has come in, but grand scheme, it's really not that expensive. And it just has a culture that's different. I mean, y'all know, like, um, you know, people who live in New York, a lot of them, you know, unless you're like a native New Yorker, and that's just how you grew up. What happens is, and my sister-in-law did this, right? She She grew up in Austin, went to UT, and then right after UT, went to New York and wanted to live that New York lifestyle. And seven, eight years in, she's like, I'm done because it's expensive. It's hard. You know, your idea of like home ownership or anything like that basically goes out the window the second you move to New York. You're living in a shoebox in a crappy neighborhood. You know, it's just yep. really hard to get ahead. And you're working 90 hours a week. And, you know, it's just this like rat race that you get into. And what I've just found is that, you know, you have people who really want to work hard and are super entrepreneurial and interesting. And they look at New York and they're like, why the hell am I here? I could be anywhere doing this. And I think, again, like in this sort of virtual, I think, yeah, and that's the thing, right? If when you talk about, especially I think COVID has really, you know, shine the light on that of, of really reminding everybody that we really can, you can work from anywhere. Mm. I mean, one, you're just a plain you're just a plane ride away from anywhere. And in the United States, especially from Austin, you know, Austin for anyone who doesn't know kind of geographically where it sits, it basically sits in the dead center of the country on the South edge, like near Mexico. And so when you talk about it, you're talking about it's a three hour flight to New York or it's a three hour flight to LA where it's a seven hour flight from LA to New York. So, you know, you're sitting right in the middle, (laughs) Um, you know, so getting anywhere is easy if you need to, but, but I mean, we're having a, a, a podcast you know from thailand to austin yeah. so like mm. getting some work done right or if we want to call this work i guess you know I you mean, guys are I mean, like i i consulted a few friends before going to america and i was like if i need to buy a home or like you know have a base where i could leave my things so that i can go to like i sell all over america like really all, all over and I was like, where would be the best place to like live where as a brown guy, I can walk freely without being <laughs> shot at or, or uh, no, gu- no guarantee of that anywhere. No guarantee now, of that nowhere. anywhere. But, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, everybody says Austin. Uh, yeah. Is the plan, you know? So yeah, yeah I mean, let's it's... talk about your platform. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the fashion week. And kind um, of the shift to, to online, right? In the, in, what does Fashion Week look like in the COVID world? So just a little background. So we were, we were all geared up and ready to roll for our spring Fashion Week. So we had just done Houston in the fall, and we had done a second Austin one. We'd, we'd really moved into doing two a year in Austin, a spring and a fall one. We'd just finished those up in like November. And so we were really kind of, you know, pedal to the metal to get uh, the spring Austin one off the ground. We had dates. It was middle of April. Um, had all the sponsors lined up, 
pretty much all the designers were done, you know, all of that, you know, by February. And then March 13th hit. And, you know, what happened, I mean, that's, that's the date in the US that kind of, you know, our kids got sent home from school. Mm. And frankly, everyone in the US at the time was like, oh, this will be a few weeks. And, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. And, you know, and a few weeks later, we'll, we'll, we'll all be back to work again, or whatever. Mm. And which is dumb, because the world had shown that that's not what was going to happen, right? Italy was in full lockdown at that point. And, so it took a good week or so before we even, before I even considered postponing it. So, I mean, and, and we were, you know, four weeks or five weeks away from it. So, I mean, I was still on the phone and emails and selling sponsorships and selling tickets and doing all of that for that entire first week. And people were doing all that. And so, you know, very quickly, you know, within say seven days or so, you realized, well, that's not going to work. You know, all the mandates start coming in mm. or the lack of mandates in the United States, as the case may be. Um, and so we decided to postpone. We actually postponed into late May because again, like this thing's only going to last a few weeks. It'll be fine. Mm. You know, we'll get hotter. We'll do that. You know, pretty quickly you realize that's not going to happen. So we postponed into August thinking, all right, well, that's a few months down the road. And again, it's a thousand degrees outside. So, you know, surely it like the flu, right? This thing will, in the summer, it'll burn off the virus and everything will be back to normal in the summer, even if we have a second wave in the fall. Well, look at us idiots, you know, so you get to something like July and you're like, well, that's not going to work. So, I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm literally like updating the website, like every few weeks with a just kidding, new dates, just kidding, new dates. And like, we didn't put tickets on sale or anything. We basically just kept moving the date, you know, just mm -hmm. kicking the can down the road. And then, you know, it really, it really did look like, okay, well, we can do something in person probably in October. Um, it really did look like that, right? The world was starting to come back. I mean, you guys in Thailand are talking about that, you know, Thailand's basically back to normal. Yeah. You know, a lot of Asia is basically back to normal. A fair chunk of Europe is basically back to normal. You know, the United States just is, is essentially, you know, some of South America is essentially the only country left in, in the world that is still really hardcore having to deal with this. We still don't have bars open in Austin or in Texas. So if, so this whole idea of being in October even became pretty clear, even just five, six weeks ago, um, that that wasn't going to happen either. And so I finally just, you know, if we're going to go virtual, let's just do it. I'm tired of kicking the can down the road. We have contracts, right, with sponsors and things like that, that we need to fulfill before the end of the year, you know, start talking to all them. How do you turn, you know, this thing, I mean, for anyone who knows sort of how event sponsorships work, right, you basically have, you have two budgets in big companies, right? You have experiential marketing budgets and you have advertising budgets and they don't talk to each other. And usually it's different ad agencies and things like that. And so the experiential marketing budgets are literally where can Dana, Matt, and Jay go to an event physically and interact with a brand in some cool way, right? We see it all the time in, um, probably in Thailand too, but definitely here. And so now you've got this shift of all of those agencies and all of, the, all of those dollars going, okay, well, we already spent it, but it's not going to happen. So now how do we create something experiential online, which is much, much harder to do when you can't physically do it. So we've been working with Bernina, who's our title sponsor. So Bernina is a, is a Swiss made um, sewing machine brand. Um, it's really known more in like the quilting community, yeah, it's but they're quilt, really trying really to- a domestic quilting machine. It has a lot of stitches correct. programmed into it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I mean, it, they're they're great machines. Not typically Phenomenal known for machine. fashion. Hmm? Yeah, Phenomenal right. Machine. And and they have been a fantastic partner of ours in America for uh, five six years now. And they've really been trying to focus on sort of emerging designers. Like they understand like, hey, these, this is a good way to help you get started. And we understand that you might graduate into more commercial type machines later. But for now, like it's a great way for a home studio or something like that. So they've been this, this great part of has been sponsored by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not intentional, but, but you know, but, but it goes to the story, right? Of how sort of an events brand can then talk to, you know, this bigger brand that is a sponsor and say, all right, how do you now refocus this partnership? And I think that's what's happening around the world, right? How do you refocus your partnership to ensure that all the stakeholders who signed up for this one thing over here mm. are now getting sold this other thing over here? And how do you make sure that that ticket buyer gets a great experience, that that fashion designer gets a great experience? And frankly, I mean, you all know you're in the fashion design world. How do you get a fashion designer who, I mean, let's be honest, at least in the United States right now, buying clothes. Mm. I mean, who needs a suit right now? No well, one's I going mean, anywhere. Tops. Everyone's wearing tops. No one's buying pants. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But even no like one jackets. And, pants. No, no one's wearing I mean, pants. I, I, Boy, currently, I currently am naked from the waist down. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, and so, and so it, it's really just a big question around that, right? Is how do you create something that feels on brand, that feels um like you're really trying to take care of all of those stakeholders and and that's sort of where we are and, and funny enough i was talking to ross ross keeps coming up in this jay that's how we got introduced and it was actually ross's idea i give him a lot of credit he said well if you're going to go virtual why don't you there's no reason to keep it to a texas audience hmm. well that's a good point yeah and okay. so we decided like all right let's do this thing that we're calling fashion by global and the reality is, y'all know, fashion designers around the world have been hit really hard. They don't mm -hmm. have anywhere in the sell to or any place to sell or, you know, finances have been hit. Mm -hmm. Economics are a mess all over the world. You know, how do you, how do you sell an evening gown or a suit or something like that, you know, during this time? Or can you get smart and say, okay, well, normally I'm a suit maker, but all of a sudden I'm, I've got a t-shirt brand <laughs> because mm -hmm. I'm just trying to put food on the table, right? And, mm -hmm. and we wanted to create a platform that allowed for that and so really it's just no matter where you are in the world you got access to video content right mm. you got a camera everyone's got this like pretty good camera in their hands you know what can mm. you do to kind of show the world and can we help you know just give you and expand that platform and so y'all in thailand right like is there a thai designer who's never even thought about selling to the u.s but i have a pretty nice u.s audience i mean let's show it i mean i don't know like, I don't know if it's going to got work, a great right? bag but, line and some fantastic masks if you got a space in your... Uh... <laughs> uh, absolutely. And that's the thing. And so th that's the other thing. I mean, we talked about that curate word. So mm. we're not curating anything for this, right? This is You're all about... Right. And it's all about what is the creativity of the world during COVID. And and let us help promote that. And mm. by the way, it's all video driven. So if you're not... Jay and I had this conversation a little bit the other day, but like my perspective is kind of, again, because fashion is subjective, right? Like what I like may be very different from what Jay likes, may be very different from what Dana likes, may be very different from, you know, what a woman likes, right? And so who am I to judge that, first of all? And second of all, who am I to judge that from in this time? 
right? Like we're all just trying to get by. And so mm. I don't ever want to put a young designer or a designer who's just struggling to make it work, who maybe is having to create clothes with whatever fabric is laying around their house right now because they can't afford to go buy a bunch of fabric or whatever. Who am I to judge what they need to do to survive? Look, they're creatives. If, if we really look at this uh, optimistically, I do believe like there are going to be tons of new faces during mm -hmm. this time that will, will come up just because they've had the time to recreate their brand. They've had the time to, you know, be at one place, be pushed to the corner and just had to create something, you know, who, who knows? Like, I mean, all the big brands are dying, but who knows what the next big, small thing would be. One and, big uh, brand I dies, think, 400 small ones can take its place. And yeah, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, right. absolutely. And that's the perspective I've tried to take with this of like, I, you know, if, you, if I've had designers say, hey, I've never created a collection before, but I just finished school. Here are some sketches. And my perspective is like, I mean, if you can make it, put it in video, we'll show it. Yeah. I mean, again, who am I to, and by the way, if it's terrible, it's like a minute and a half. Mm. So, you know, the viewer understands and I think and, and to me like one of the greatest things that will come out of and I know this is kind of a cliche but like you know innovation is real right during COVID because we're all having to figure out like okay what does a post-COVID world look like mm. and then even within that like from a live events perspective I don't know when the next time is we're gonna in the U.S. be able to have a legitimate sized thousand person event I don't know and also and like so, millennial civil millen war I mean, yeah. millennials habit is, is uh, so different nowadays. Like they either, either have like three seconds attention span or eight hours. Like, uh, right. like look at Netflix and like people don't watch movies, but they'll watch the Tiger King, Joe Exotic for like 18 hours or shit like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, like, like people surf Reddit looking for that one good meme and like this went hours yep. for, for 4chan, Jay, 4chan. Yeah. <laughs> my my son is 10 years old and he um you can tell i'm like in his room right now for anyone who can't see there's yeah, captain yeah. america is behind me yeah. because it's the only place i can get any peace and quiet inside this house right now with kids <laughs> home from and, and having virtual school but you know he's 10 years old and if you say hey your your class starts in five minutes his question will be well what am i supposed to do for five minutes like seriously, like just sit there. I don't care. Like it's the shortest <laughs> time ever. Go ahead, go ahead and get on the Zoom call. They're probably going to let you in three minutes early anyway. You know, I mean, but so you have that level of attention span, but then he could sit and watch YouTube ridiculous like gaming videos mm -hmm. for yeah. literally eight or hours. Somebody straight. else and playing the game. Someone building right, stuff. He's not in, even playing. In, uh, in like um, in Minecraft. Yeah, Minecraft, right? Yeah. 12 hours to build right. a, a bridge. Right, exactly. It's, it's, I mean, it, it is this weird dummy that we're sort of playing with. And so, so this, this Fashion by Global event, like specifically that night, so, so the show is actually three nights long. There's a Texas designer show, and then there's a, a black designer show, which we can get into a little bit if y'all want to, yeah, on the Friday. The and then the global show is on. Dive into that. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the global show, though, I think what's interesting about it is we're kind of selling it as a 24-hour marathon of fashion shows. Nice. And the idea is, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if we will literally fill 24 hours with different designers, but we're going to run it for 24 hours because you're going to have ticket buyers 
and by the way, tickets are pay what you can. Mm -hmm. So we understand, like, we don't know what this product fully is going to look like. I can fully admit that. And by the way, anybody who tells you that they know what their virtual event is going to look like actually doesn't know, right? Because we're all doing it for the first time. Mm. And secondarily, I just don't know what the economics are around the world. So some people will be able to afford a dollar and some people will be able to afford $500. And I don't want to be the one who's judging based on that. And so in theory, even this 24-hour show, the beautiful thing is we can set it up by time zone. But I want American designers to be able to be seen by people in Thailand. And I want Thai designers to be seen by people in America. And so we're exactly 12 hours apart, right? And so in our case, you know, that's probably possible, but the ones that are kind of eight hours apart or 14 hours apart or 15 hours apart, you know, the timing just doesn't work. And so the idea of kind of taking, even if we have to show the entire grouping of designers, you know, four times, mm. you know, back to back to back to back, the idea is that you've got a different viewing audience around the globe every single time and really trying to take that idea of we talk a lot about you know shopping local or mm -hmm. supporting local and i love that idea don't get me wrong but to me local also means just small so mm. you know when you as an american i love it when an austinite buys a shirt from an austin based designer that's great but i also love it when they buy a shirt from a small business owner in Thailand or a yeah. small business owner in Sydney, because at the end of the day, those dollars are still going into, you know, that small creators makers mm. hands. Absolutely. And, and I still view that as local business, even if it's, if it's not next door. Right. Yeah. And I, I really want to blow that idea of local can mean supporting a creator and a maker in Cairo, just mm. as much as it can mean, you know, a person in Austin or Houston or Dallas. For sure. I, I kind of take the same view. Like I, I'd much rather buy something from a small maker, like a, a small craftsperson anywhere in the world than I would from like an H&M right? yeah. or a Uniqlo. Not that their clothes fit me to begin with, but, you know, if, if I had the option, I, I would take that. And I think of it kind of like travel, right? So if, if you go to, if I go to London, Mm -hmm. right and there's a million uh, london london's a great fashion capital right especially for menswear and so you know i would much rather not walk into harrods a big department store mm -hmm. which i mean i'll go wander around and, and this is no knock on harrods i actually love harrods but Still like cool to look at you know I'd, yeah I, and it's great to look at but i'd rather go you know to a you to a flea market you know or, or something yeah. like that where there's a bunch of artisans making and buying directly from them or even to a taylor on savile row who's just kind of a a you and me kind of guy who's 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 making some great pants or great jackets or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. you know i think of it as travel right everybody views the world through that lens they don't want to go into an eight H&M in London what's the point of that and so yeah. if you view that if you view if you view that while you travel then why don't you view it that way when you're at home um yeah. you know why, why buy from H&M when you have when you can buy and I guess some of it comes down to price right but yeah but but then that's a whole different topic of conversation of so, like that, Matt, that seven dollar t-shirt costs a hell of a lot more than seven bucks right yeah. so hypothetically let, let I'm gonna put myself in a small designer's uh, shoe and ask you these questions right so let's say 
um, I have a small brand. Uh, it's suffering, of course, because of COVID and stuff. Uh, if I were to join your show previous in previous years, it would be I clothe the models and I get a runway and uh, it's going to look amazing for my portfolio that my clothes were featured on a runway in, in Texas and mm. I've done that for my brand in Thailand, right? Now that we're doing it virtually, right? Um, again, uh, let's say I'm on lockdown. I cannot get access to you know, shooting models, but I have done photo shoots in the past and stuff. Uh, what, what is my requirement to join this? And uh, you know, what would be the benefits of, of joining this? Um, yeah. What are, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk, let's talk about that for a second. So in the past, right. And this is why, I don't know if this is even the future of our brand. Maybe it is, but in the mm -hmm. past, right. When you talk about a live event, you're talking about in the U S right. So even if I really control costs, over like a three-day period of physical runway shows where we all show up in person, I've probably got $150,000 out of pocket, right? So I got to make that up somehow, right? So that's sponsors, that's tickets, but it's also designers, right? So if you're, if you're showcasing on the runway, you're going to pay some fees to be involved in that because mm -hmm. somebody's got to pay for the models and the hair and makeup teams and the production and the light guy and the mm -hmm. sound guy and the, you know, all of that stuff, right? And that could easily cost well, virtual. All of that of goes away. Yeah. None of that exists anymore, right? So if that's the case, then um, yeah, yeah, thousands of dollars. So if that's the case in the past, now virtual, essentially all of those costs go away. It's very, very small, right? I mean, I've, I've got a little bit of cost with a couple like tech guys to help out with the live, you know, and yada, yada, yada. But Cloud it's basically instance, nothing. All that, yeah, bandwidth. Right, right. But but very little, but very little. So if that's the case, then, you know, how do you, I, so now I don't need to charge a designer anything, right? So if they're just submitting video, now they may have some cost in creating that video, but even that should be low. Most fashion designers should are pretty well connected low. in the, yeah. and they're pretty and well they're connected. And they're very creative. In the, for right, sure. um, right. And so. they can do it in their backyard. They could do it on live models. They could potentially not do it on live models, whatever. But all their commitment is really for us is give us a video less than six minutes is what we're saying. Six minutes is I've, I've read some studies that that's where that's when people are going to start to get bored. Right. Mm -hmm. So give us a video less than six minutes. Try to make it as compelling as you can. But we also understand in a COVID world, you're going to do the best you can. Some people are going to submit, you know, more like slideshow type stuff of still photography that we'll put into kind of moving words. Jay and I have talked about this. You know, some of it's going to be very cool, you know, music video looking, you know, stuff. We've gotten some of that in you know, submit that. And then the only ask we have of you in return is um, to promote the event to the best of your ability, right? So I want to make sure that we have this huge global audience watching this thing. And so if you're a designer from Thailand, you obviously know people in Thailand who hopefully are interested in fashion. They're your customer base. It's a pay what you can ticket. So how many of them can you get to buy tickets? And we want those eyeballs on everybody's work, right? Mm -hmm. And that's and that's a win for everybody. We want and all is it, the designers. Is it more on like YouTube, on the website or yeah. on Instagram? Where It's we, gonna be on YouTube. The... Yeah, it's gonna be on YouTube. Um, that's the most kind of pervasive platform kind of globally that uh, we can use. Also, you talk about bandwidth and things like that. You can kind of count on YouTube to, to be able to manage, you know, huge live streams. Um, and really for us, like it's from a technical perspective, it's actually fairly simple, right? Because it's really just 
videos hit play, I'm going to come on live periodically, you know, I'll pop in and out. And so there'll be some legitimate live components mm. where you'll kind of see me in my house or whatever. Um, we're going to do a lot of interviews with designers. So, you know, little two to three minute interviews that we can splice in, nice. which I think is also a beautiful thing about virtual that you don't get in a live show, right? Like I don't trust in a live show to have, I can't, I can't take the time one and the audience, right. They're there to have cocktails and have a great time and watch models walk up and down the runway. Mm -hmm. They're not yeah. there to listen to a designer talk about their inspiration for this collection. Yeah, that's also right? very true. That, yeah. That that's not what they want to hear. And, mm -hmm. and, but on video, when they're kind of popping in and out and like watching a little bit that like two minutes or 90 seconds or even one minute of just the designer, just, introducing themselves this is who i am this is where i'm from this is kind of the world i live in and this is this is where my brain goes i think that has a ton of value that designers don't get in a live show environment and then the other cool thing is is everything's a click away you know when you're doing something virtual which is totally interesting you know in a live show environment we've always talked about like how do you convert if somebody sees your show all right. So, so Matt, we got we got uh, interrupted a bit. You dropped out. Sorry about that. But I'd like to pick up and talk about, you know, the partnership sponsor side that that you talked about and specifically. And I I want to ask one about you know the sewing machine sponsor Brianna that you you talked about because one as a I love sewing machines. I've got eleven of them downstairs in my studio that uh, I work with on a daily basis. But I understand that to experience them and to to really get a value add for a sponsor it's something that you you almost want to have hands-on you want to see physically because i can read that you know i've got industrial machines downstairs but like say i want to get a domestic i can read that this one machine does 700 stitches and all these different functions but if I don't see it, if I don't do it, like if I don't go through the menu, I don't get that experience. So from a virtual perspective, how, how are you delivering for those partners? Are you trying different models? What, what does that look like? Yeah, we're, we're trying to figure that out. Um, and I think with Bernina in particular, the conversations have been, and, and here's the thing, they're trying to figure that out too. And I think that that's, that's a big piece of this. And, and, and one of the reasons I love the partnership so much is because it really is sort of the mind meld of trying, we, we both recognize that, that we don't really know what we're doing here. We're all just trying to, trying to figure out how to take this kind of old idea and morph it into this new one. And what does that look like? And so where Bernina has really tried to take it was, is less about um, physically touching a sewing machine, since that's not Clearly. possible right now, and more about um, showing how they are supporting the young emerging designer mm. and how they want and that their brand is attaching to us and in doing so is saying we want to help also give you a voice so in in america right bernina so bernina is one of the largest sewing machine brands in the world but in america you know they've got 180,000 facebook followers who are incredibly engaged they've got a large instagram following they've got a large um they have a they have a blog that's called we we all sew or yeah, we all sew. Mm. And it's mostly like a thing blog and things like that. But as they fashion, 
they sort of view this as, so I've done a couple of Facebook lives with them, mm. with other, des with designers where we kind of interview and talk to each other. And it really, I think for them, they just want to show their, their support. They understand, you know, sort of what the fashion designer plight is in a good year mm. and especially now. And they yeah. just want to essentially say, Hey, don't forget us. We're here for you. And mm. what can we do to help? Um, and, and one of the things that we can do to help is try to really expand this fashion by brand so that there's a much bigger global audience that's more eyeballs on you, mm -hmm. which hopefully converts to more sales or whatever the case may be. And then I think as we move into, into better years, and even if we, even if we stay virtual, right, I think, I think the future of our business probably, and in talking to sponsors is, is some hybrid model, right, where we can still do you know, big cool events in Austin, Texas, mm. but then maybe those are now live streamed. And maybe we do have, you know, you guys in Thailand, you know, watching it at 9 a.m. your time, 9 p.m. my time, mm. you know, watching a runway show, even if it's kind of just halfway on in the background, you're kind of paying attention to it, not really. Mm. Um, to me, like, I think some kind of hybrid model like that is probably the future. And so somebody like a Bernina can really start to think about, you know, their dollars and, you know, how can they strategically use those dollars to make sure that this group that they, that they really do legitimately and honestly um, and genuinely want to support, yeah. you know, and they, and they care about, right? Like, mm. yes, they want to sell you sewing machines, but at the end of the day, they also just want you to have the space to be creative and mm. be a voice in the world. Yeah. Which I think, yeah. it, which I think the better companies, that's what they want. Yeah, I think Barina, you know, they're they're a great example too. Like you said, their their Facebook group is incredibly engaged. But people who use Barina, Barinas, and like that community, they are very much like hardcore. Like uh, Barina, that's it. Like, you, and you don't see that with Brother or Singer, or the other domestics. Yeah. And even on the industrial side, like I've got five different brands of industrial machines in my studio. Like I, I've got no brand loyalty to any of them, and none of them spend time to build that community aspect. But you also talked about like the hybrid model, which I, I think is interesting because like, for me, I just hosted a, a design workshop for a university in Singapore from Thailand with uh, other speakers on my panel from Singapore, Hong Kong, and Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people watching online, but then we also had people who were in like classrooms in Singapore because they're far more open than like say the U.S., joining the lecture, asking questions, and people were engaging. And we had used a, an online platform that allowed us to like really manage some of those aspects. Um, but again, like the first time you do anything, virtually, hybrid, whatever, they're clearly things that didn't go as planned. So, you know, it, it's interesting. It's a learning experience, but having partners on board that, and I think you highlighted this with Bernina, which it makes them probably like an ideal partner in this regard, they're sort of working with you on like, we don't know. So what do we do and how do we get through to the other side? Because no one has an answer for a situation that's never happened. Mm. Right. And I think the things that I love about having to go virtual this time mm. is that, look, we're really good at doing big live events. We're really good at it. We've been doing it for 11 years. You know, we, yeah. we've worked out the, it doesn't mean that kinks don't happen, mm. but you know, we've pretty much worked out the kinks. We, we know where the risks are and we know where the rewards are in virtual. We don't know that yet. So my hope is, is that we'll do this thing in October 
there's going to be some kinks. Like I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. Hopefully they're minor. And you know, you know, they, they always say, you know, at your wedding, if only, if only you and the event planner notice it, then, then you did a good job. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's the same thing here. You know, hopefully it's just really us that, that notices any kinks that happen. And then, you know, moving forward, hopefully then you become, all right, now we've done that. Okay. So now hybriding the two together shouldn't be as hard because you've done each of them individually. I think the really hard one is when you've never done one or the other, and then all of a sudden you're jumping in and melding the two to get together. So my hope is, is that, you know, this is sort of our dip our toes in the water into virtual. And then let's be honest, we're going to need another, another fashion week in the spring, whatever that looks like. And yeah, yeah. I hope that we'll be able to grow this audience and, and hopefully we'll be able to get in person. But even that guys, I mean, the reality is, is even if we want to do a big fashion week in Austin with live events, there is going to be a group of people in Austin specifically who are just not comfortable going out into a huge audience yet and and that's okay like we want to meet each person where they are you know maybe they're immunocompromised maybe they're a cancer survivor like who am i to judge what you think and, and deem is okay for your own personal health and so i want to be able to deliver the same content to them in whatever way that we can whether that's live or virtual or whatever and by the way so 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 to me physical distance, whether you're in a different country or whatever, obviously you can only watch it virtual unless you want to get on a plane and come, come physically see it. But the reality is, is I used to have this perspective and I think COVID has taught me this. I used to have this perspective of, well, I don't want to lie. People ask all the time, why don't you live stream shows? Like even on like Instagram live. And I'm like, well, if I live stream the show, why, why'd you buy a ticket? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Like if you could just get it free, virtually now granted it's a different experience and but to me we make we make a lot of our money on ticket sales and so i always had this view of if i don't have the ticket sales because we're delivering it virtually for for free or for a or for less money then then i can't make it work mm. but i think covid has taught me that there will be different people who want different things, right? And some will still want the big glitzy glamorous cocktail in hand, sit on the front row, watch a runway show, and they're willing to pay a premium for that. And there's gonna be some people who say, actually, I'd be happy to give you 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever the case may be in order to just be able to watch it virtually. Yeah. And I think if you think of it more on a volume basis, there's probably more money in it, ironically, yeah. by doing the hybrid model. It also gives you the opportunity to be really creative and flexible with your content right right you can do all kinds of cool stuff that you never did before on the live stuff and on the live side and you all know too i mean people love to go to like live tv tapings right mm. like they love to like show up and kind of see how the see how the bread is made mm. and um and i think there's a way to even do that uh with a live audience of like hey guys we're currently in a 30 second commercial break <laughs> you know so the dj is going to crank it up you know even though you're watching live mm. you know it's meaning you're physically at the event you know there's something different happening for the virtual audience and you can almost like play those off of each other you know and talk to the different audiences in different ways mm. i mean you could actually have a host on a virtual one that the even in the same event right that the live people who are there physically never even know that that host even existed right yeah. and you could do all kinds of cool stuff with that and 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 i think that's the beauty of it is i think it's really opened my eyes and i think it's going to force the live events world to move forward in a way that just we've never thought about before hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen that. Like I've, Jay mentioned, we, we were talking beforehand. Jay talked about I used to be a fighter and I was a referee. 
So I've been to live MMA events all over the world. I've refereed events in like huge stadiums, small like underground parking garages, you know, all ends of the spectrum uh, and everywhere in the middle. But, you know, there's, there's two sides to that coin. There's something to be said about being like right in the thick of an event, like in a stadium or in a club and the energy you feel. And then you look at companies that do their online production really well and have much smaller shows, but like there's, there's a show that I watch online, a fight promotion that when they do a live event with like 10 fights, they might sell tickets to 300 people. But then when you're online, like 40,000 people are watching it live. Yep. And it's because they, they put in the people who are there are having a completely different experience than the people watching online. But it's such a rich, engaging experience that 40,000 people from around the world will, will sign on to watch this and engage in the comments and the chat and everything. And it's really interesting. I think it pushes the boundary of what, you know, a lot of people 10, 20 years ago when I would fight, no one wanted to watch it online. Everyone wants to go or no one wants to watch it on TV. Everyone wants to go to a live event today. It's probably 80% want to watch it online, even pre COVID just because it's, yeah. it's a different, better experience that you control as the, as the end user. Right. And, and that's sort of, I think where this goes. And I mean, like, honestly, where my brain starts to go is, I mean, y'all know with various pieces of software, right? Like, so people really want to know in a fashion show, what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on backstage. Like you, yeah. it's, it's behind the curtain. It's the wizard of Oz. And so I've even thought about like how cool, and we're not going to do that for, for this show because we're still not live, but going forward, like what's the scenario where, you almost like so when you think about like ESPN like football games now oftentimes American football games now they have they actually have channels right where you can essentially pick your camera angle yeah. at any given time right and so you can see you know from the quarterback's view you can see it you know and and so to me like what if you could do that for something like a fashion show what if you could yeah, cool. set up a camera you know with the models lined up behind and you know the models can interact with that camera and they can talk to it and they can and so you could either toggle between them or maybe they're even just set up a split screen on your screen where you can sort of see what's happening you know front of house that the live audience is seeing and you can also see what's happening behind the stage and then you pick which which kind of you know which one you're listening to and you can toggle between sound i don't know what that looks like but to me that's exciting sounds and that's different and I, like you know like i think a lot of people after the covid will will be very antisocial and be very mm -hmm. weird around people and i think like that that kind of stuff would sound amazing like i mean it and also it opens up so many different perspectives. Like, like you said, like if you, you click on this and you see something else happening instead of like what you can just see, if you, mm -hmm. if you go to a live event and you're a nobody and they put you in a shitty seat, you're not going to enjoy it in mm -hmm. the same way. But if, if you're watching it on, on your computer, you, uh, you know, are really seeing the event. Right. And I mean, and, and, and with the admin of AR and VR, like, what does that look like? You yeah. know, can you be shooting it in VR at the, same time live and someone can put on a headset and they essentially become one with a model right where they can really interact and they can see the audience or i mean i don't know what it looks like but to me the the opportunities are literally limitless right? i just think of all the different content verticals that take place mm. during a fashion show and behind the scenes like you talked about so as, as a designer for me i'd be super interested to watch the other designers dressing their models right mm. and then you know makeup channels are one of the biggest things on youtube 
And I'm sure yep. if you were to put like a GoPro in front of a makeup artist station, how many millions of people would watch or how does this professional makeup artist do the model's makeup? You know, yep. someone might be really interested in the operation side you of it. They just want to see the models change. Yeah, like yeah, where, where's the camera that I can, like where, where am I going to get the best chance of a nip slip, you know? Um, <laughs> the, well, and, and we actually, a few years ago, we, we had, we put a GoPro on a model on our forehead hmm. um, because one of the things that, one of the angles that no one ever gets, right, is yeah. what is it like to be a runway model? Yeah. And mm -hmm. we had to be careful with her. Right. So she literally wore this GoPro on her forehead the entire, the entire night. Mm -hmm. And some of the designers literally like they knew that she was walking in their show. Mm -hmm. And so some of the designers would almost create like a headpiece that like integrated the GoPro wow. into the look, which was super cool. And then some of them just let it, let it be. And we announced to the audience in advance, like there's going to be one model. She has a GoPro on her head. Don't worry mm -hmm. about it. Like that's what it, but like, we're going to use that footage and it wasn't live, but live would be even cooler. You know, this GoPro's, is kind of before you could GoPro's live stream now. Right, exactly. And, and it, and now that's way cooler, but you know, it, it was awesome. That footage was really cool. So you'd see her backstage. We really had to look at the footage before we released it to make yeah, sure that you don't obviously. actually accidentally catch another model, you know, getting changed or whatever, so but you would literally, tough, that was a tough gig to the guy who had to go yeah. through that footage. Can I be the right. video yeah, editor? The, uh, that for, game, so. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, our video editor isn't, isn't a smarmy guy like you, Dana, but um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> too, bad um, the, too bad for him. I know. Right. I know. Right. But he, but, but it was, it was super cool because you even have her changing, Mm. but you can't see anything on her right because it's her perspective yeah. of having you know three three dressers getting you dressed in literally like you know eight seconds this crazy evening gown with new earrings and you can see the speed at which that happens yeah, and then her literally like running an in heels stop. right and 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 her literally running in stiletto six inch stilettos right yeah. which is also an impressive feat in and of itself you know bouncy footage the whole thing of her getting back in line and then on the runway in the glitz and glam all within a minute and a half or whatever it is right and and i just think some of that footage is so interesting and when you think of it from a virtual live environment of being able to sort of show you know really peel back the layers of the onion mm. and just say like this is this is what it really looks like right it's not all and it's amazing when you really think about it and sometimes i do have this like holy shit we actually pulled that off you know moment of mm. because all you see as the viewer is the glitz and glam of it and you really don't understand the difficulty that it takes you know uh, and how hardworking someone like a model really is, right? You you just mm. view them as this like beautiful creature who just comes out looking like that, but it actually took seven people to get her like that in yeah. forty five seconds, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and somehow it all works, right? And she and she figures out how to go from this high, high, high stress environment to this super relaxed. Look at me, I'm an Amazon goddess, mm. you know. In and somehow <laughs> can like change her face. Mm. And also not sweat, which I don't understand either. Like, but, yep. but it happens, right? And, and being able to show that through a virtual environment, I think is super interesting. And, I, and frankly, I kind of hope that's where we're going. And I just think the content is way more interesting. It'd be We've all seen cool. enough... We've all seen enough runway shows at this point, you know, in a traditional environment, like what can you really add to it? I mean, unless you have a massive budget, like a Gucci or somebody like that, who does amazing runway shows, you know, 
but they cost half a million bucks. So for the average designer, that's not realistic. And I just think you can really help a, a young designer build brand in, with this content and this footage that they would have never gotten otherwise. It's a platform. And it's also, like I said, from an event organizer perspective, it's just going to be a crazy, exciting sort of creative opportunity to say, especially the hybrid model, right? Like you can do anything. Anything's possible. Yeah. Right. And that's where I think we're just going to, as the events world unfolds, you know, I think, and I think it goes across the, across the board, right? Like, I mean, what does a charity gala look like in the future? Right. Yeah. And, and is there a better model than, you know, a chicken dinner at a hotel ballroom? I and hope so. absolutely there, I hope well, so. there, there is a, there is a better model. We just have to be more creative in figuring out what that model is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of that, you know, that, that kind of event that's happening here, we are getting there, right? Like, people are having to figure that out very, very quickly. Mm. And the beautiful thing I think about what we do, because it's in fashion, is we have super cool brands that we work with on the sponsorship side and on the designer side, and all of them are super creative. And I always have this mind of, I understand event production, but mm. I don't know everything. And so by the way, hey, Dana, it, you know a lot as a, as a menswear tailor. Hey, what, what would you want to do? You know what I mean? Like I'm totally open to, hey, if you're if you're creative enough to be able to make an entire collection of clothing that people want to wear, then I want to listen to you because you you're going to be creative enough to also help me figure out what telling content looks like about how to show that beautiful clothing to an end audience in whatever way you know you see kind of fits you, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think I think you're going to have a, this really collaborative environment to come up with kind of what's next in fashion shows at least yeah that's going to be mm. amazing and one of the things that i we saw on your website that was really interesting that you have a, a special i don't know if you want to call it a spotlight or i know it's it's not curated but uh you know <laughs> it's it's a, a special focus on black designers at this event mm. can yeah. you talk about how did that come about why did that come about and, and what is that going to look like yeah so before anybody like it's so funny. Like I've gotten some very weird pushback on this. I mean, Wait, why? You, know, you guys being in talk, right. I, okay. So yes, exactly. Why? Yeah. So it's funny. Like th- there was a, when we first announced that there was actually one comment um, that was like, so are you also going to have a, a show for all white designers? You're going to have a show for all purple designers. Are you going to, I mean, you can imagine, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the world we live in and and what I kind of want to say, so, so, so there's a PR answer to this and then you'll, and then there's the unadulterated answer. So I'll give you all the unadulterated answer. So well, please. The, we would appreciate yeah, it. I mean, here, here's the thing, right? So um, the reality is, is uh, so what we haven't talked about is I've actually had some amazing opportunities through the city of Austin with this new fashion program mm. that they're really trying to fund where I've become sort of this, one of their go-to people to go on these, you know, state sponsored and city sponsored trips to other countries to meet fashion designers and to figure out how we can work together and all those kinds of things. And I've gotten to go to um, Mexico, so four cities in Mexico on a, on a delegation. So you took a, um, you took a trip 30 minutes south. <laughs> it's a little further than that. Yeah, actually, actually re- requires a plane, but, but yes, generally. Um, but it was funny. It was actually the very first, it was the first official U.S. delegation in Mexico after Trump got elected. So it was literally like a month after. Oh, that had to be um, fun. So, 
Oh man, we had we had literally bullet point talking points that we needed to stick to yeah. because we were representing the city of Austin, um, not not the federal government. In the city of Austin, our mayor is actually very liberal and kind of anti-Trump and all of right. that. But but that's but but we still had to do all of that. So you know, so I've been to Mexico, I've been to Australia, I've been to Pakistan, Egypt, right. and so all very very different countries. And we have done shows. So we have done a show that was called Moda, Moda by Mexico. Mm. So all Mexican designers who came to Austin and showed this beautiful oh. black tie event at this gorgeous hotel. Um, we did, uh, we've done a show for Pakistani designers here. We did it in all three cities in Austin, Dallas, and Houston um, with all very modern Pakistani wear and very traditional Pakistani wear. So it was this beautiful sort of South Asian cultural showcase. Mm. And then we've done, we've done, we've brought Australian designers with that. And then we were ready to do Egypt. I just went to Egypt in December and obviously like that kind of got put on hold. I'll go back, um, mm. next year. So that, that delegation actually got extended out. And so we will ultimately do it with Egyptian designers. So part of me is like, we have done this before. Mm. Like you just weren't paying attention until it said black designers. So no. why do you have such an issue with all of a sudden, like you're fine with it until it says black designers, but here's the reality in America, right? And especially in America. So this is specifically for um, American, black American designers, because I don't think this is a problem maybe it's a problem across the world, but it's mostly a problem today in America. And mm -hmm. what's happened is, is in this like bizarre political climate that we're living in, everyone around the world knows that we're kind of going through some serious social justice issues in the US. The reality is, is for the last three or four years, especially in Texas, what I've noticed, you can ask my wife, we have this conversation after every single show. So we have when we talked about designers having to help pay for shows, basically it's a fee range from 300 bucks to 2,500 bucks. And the $300 one is literally like three models, walk the runway. It's meant mm. to be for the youngest designer who's really just getting started, who maybe doesn't have the resources to show a bigger collection. Well, Kara, my wife and I, we sat, sat and watched shows in all three cities that we work in for multiple years and inevitably those three look collections it's like 80 percent of the designers who who buy in at that level are black and super talented by the way like some of the most interesting stuff that walks down the runway was coming in those little three look collections yeah. so i finally after a couple of years of this kind of sat down with a group of them you know did some phone calls with them talk to me about why you never buy into the bigger packages how come you don't have these bigger collections and at the end of the day it just came down to resources right mm -hmm. so you know don't have money you know got to work three jobs to make ends meet so fashion design even though it's my passion I haven't been able to make it into a business yet all of those things right and I just started to see this very real in my world this very real racial divide that was happening and it's mm. unintentional i do not believe that the fashion industry is intentionally keeping black designers down or anything like that i think it comes back to opportunity and when you really start looking so i started talking to some like tech investors some friends of mine in that world they would say yeah i mean if you look at the numbers it's like six percent of all dollars raised um, like of investment capital raised in the United States for um, for startups, like 6% of it goes to black and women owned businesses. And that just 
blows my mind. I mean, it's literally a number that's like that small. And so it really is about resources. And so we had been talking about doing a show, a live event around black American designers for several years. Um, this isn't something that we're just capitalizing on because of the current social justice issues. It just seemed like, okay, well, we've been talking about this for years now is absolutely the right time to do it. Mm. Um, we'll do it in this virtual environment so that we can have people from all over the country participate. Um, we, Bernina actually um, introduced us to a group um, that's actually based in Texas. The founder is in, I think, Houston um, called Black Makers Matter. And so they have these, this like great worldwide reach mm. of um, really black makers, not just in fashion, but kind of in creative around the world so we've partnered with them to help bring in some new eyeballs and next thing i know we stick it out there and there are just black designers from all over america just coming out of the woodwork and awesome. it, it's great right yeah i mean and to me like any pushback that we get i mean honestly i just want to give them a giant middle finger of just uh, i really don't care like this is my brand and this is what i think is the right thing to do and I feel like this is the opportunity to show that and, and to me, really put our stamp from a global perspective of mm. this is who we are as a brand. And we want to make sure that we are supporting all, you know, emerging designer brands around the world, regardless of, you know, and, and, and I think y'all know this, right? In the fashion industry, it's such an open-minded, right? I mean, there's a lot of gay men in fashion. There's not many straight men, funny enough, like me in fashion, um, especially in the United States. There's lesbian women, there's people of all colors, there's trans models. That mm. it's, it's one of the most diverse groups of people in my mind from an industry perspective in the world. And I mean, y'all know, like generally maybe pre-COVID, you know, we usually yep. greet each other with a hug. Mm. I mean, it's this like very tight, um, beautiful like i don't want to get too spiritual about it but i just think it's a community that that really is sort of built on love and mm. because it's about creation and so to me to have anybody push back with this um well why are you giving an extra opera like everybody should be created equal right i'm like yeah but they're not so <laughs> that's what we're trying to do is trying to elevate those voices and talk about what those voices are doing in that particular community and by the way i would do that again we've done it with australian designers who primarily are white by the way you know we've done it with mexican designers literally from mexico we've you know what I mean? So to me, it's about sort of elevating voices in a unique way and hopefully expanding out an audience for them mm. that, that people just don't judge based on that anymore, right? Well, I'm glad, so you, idealistic said, I'm, I'm glad you said it about the voices because it may be, you know, like we, we do have a global audience. People listen to our show, fortunately, from all over the world. But in America, black population is just over 13% of the population. It's very easy for those voices to be drowned out when you're only 13% of a 300 million person population. So right. you, you, not that you have to give a, a spotlight to those voices, but when you do, it, it lets them rise to the top, right? It, it lets them be heard on the same playing field as the majority. And th that's what inclusion and that's what, you know, equality is about. And I think yeah. if we don't have diversity, equality, and inclusion in fashion, then we're all going to look the same. And that, that's not cool. Well, and I just find it really interesting 
that um, so, so so you use that word inclusion mm. and diversity and inclusion in particular. So, you know, I just find it really interesting that that worldwide we um, y'all know this from a casting perspective for models, mm. right? So models have to fit a certain size, right? And some of some of that is an industry thing. Samples are made to a certain size, whatever. I, I get it. But we're also in 2020. We can figure out how to fix that problem. That that's not that hard, right? <laughs> Math so. Right, exactly. And so, um, you know, size diversity, size inclusion, ability inclusion, we've, we've just talked for years, right? Like over the last, say, decade, right? Mm. We want this super diverse model pool. And, we, and we, we've had supermodels, Naomi Campbell, Tyra Banks, you know, we've had black supermodels. It's almost like we really want and I see a lot of white designers do this, and I don't know if it's white guilt or whatever the case may be, but like, it's like, oh, can you give me as many black models as you can because they look so beautiful in my clothes? I'm like, well, that's great, except, so you want to elevate on the modeling side, but you don't on the designer side. Like, why? Because that's a business owner at this point. And so, and I just don't understand it. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, so you want it on the, like, public-facing, represent your brand, but for some reason, it doesn't work on the other side, right? On, the, on, the, on, on what's happening behind the stage, not necessarily in front. And so I've always thought that's odd. And then, you know, from an inclusion perspective, like, you know, I, I look at ability too. So we do a lot, um, my wife and I, my wife's a pediatric physical therapist. And so we just happen to have a lot of friends who have kids in particular who have various levels of disabilities. So Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, whatever the case may be. And so maybe it's just a personal thing where I just know a lot of these kids, but we started putting um, diverse models on the runway. And I, I've told designers, I'm like, one of your, one of your models is in a wheelchair. So just, just know that you have, you have a couple months to figure this out, but understand that you have a mod. And, and the first thing the designer does is they go, Oh my God, that's actually awesome. Oh shit. Now I have to figure out how to design for them. It's a creative and problem. That's sort of, right. But, but that's sort of the point, right? Is you have to, if you're going to be in my mind, a truly successful brand, if you care about inclusion and you care about Look, we all wear clothes. Mm. So it doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter how tall or short you are. It doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair. It doesn't matter if you walk with a walker. It doesn't, it, none of that make, it certainly doesn't matter what color you are. Mm. You know, if all of those things are important to you, then you as a designer also have to now push your brand to make sure that you can design for all of them. And by the way, people in wheelchairs may not be your primary audience. And I get that, you know, creating adaptive clothing is a whole different, you know, segment of the industry, mm -hmm. but also being able to understand that that person has specific needs and having to think through what those might be, especially if you're creating some, something custom for them is good for everybody. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and designers are so wonderful. They're so creative, right? That to me, like, that's the perfect group to figure it out, right? Like, mm -hmm. well, what if I used Velcro here instead of, or this person can't use their hands as well. So what if I could do this instead of, you know, you know so much, I mean, Jay, you know so much about fabrics and things like that. I mean, same kind of thing, right? Like, well, what would work in a better way that we may not normally think of for an evening gown, but hey, this woman who happens to be in a wheelchair is still gonna go to the gala and still needs the evening gown and wants to look like a million bucks. How do you make that work for her? And yeah. I, I think, and to me, that's this whole conversation, right? Is how you how you elevate all of those voices and make sure that you're giving, if not equal time, that you're really trying to share that in an equal environment. And you said 
equal playing field. That's absolutely true. Just, just making sure that everyone has the same number of opportunities available to them. And then by the way, I don't care what your race, country, ethnicity, whatever the case may be, if you're not a good designer, then you won't make it. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, your work has to speak for itself. All I want to do is give you the platform to be able to let the work speak for itself. And, and, and so far, I just haven't seen that really happening for that particular community. So we wanted to create it. That's, that's amazing. And that's the right reason to do it. And the fact that anyone is giving you pushback about anything like that is, it's stupid. Welcome to America in 2020. Well, I mean, I mean, that's just the world we're living in right now. I love, I love America. I, I was born, obviously I'm American. I was born there. I grew up there. There's a reason I haven't gone back. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, you know, I don't know how political y'all want to get, but I mean, it's just, I mean, right now we're just in a country that, you know, has been, we, we have decided as a country for whatever reason that division is more fun than, than, than coming together. And we unfortunately have a leader who, you know, really likes to stoke that division. We're going to use that term loosely on this show when we're talking about the Trump. Meaning, yeah. When meaning we talk, when leader. We say leader that, right? that, yeah. Sorry, we have, we have a we have an elected official yes. who, um, in theory, is supposed to be leading, and th and that's the problem, right? Is that you know when you want to continue to stoke the fire, you know the the loudest voices will always be heard, yeah. and so even though it's a very very small, relatively small group of people who are creating these sort of racial tension issues, mm. they're so loud yeah. that it seems like this huge group of people, right? I mean, I don't know anyone who is, you know, outwardly racist. Um, and yet that's what my, my feed, it seems to be filled with, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so that what I see in real life versus, versus what I see online are kind of two different things. Now that said, we're also in America opening a lot of conversations around this. Frankly, we would have been out for the last 400 years and, you know, and so it's only a good thing, but, you know, people have to be willing to listen to the conversation and not feel like they have all the answers. And, and that's the problem, right? Is everyone needs to be the smartest person in the room for whatever reason. Unfortunately, that, that is an issue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and clearly I'm the smartest person in the room. Don't y'all know that? <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Well, Jay Obviously. voted for Trump Obviously. and he's not even American. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about voter well, shame on you, Jay. No kidding. No kidding. We're working for the Russian bots. <laughs> so yeah, Matt, yeah. your show yeah. is coming up. What are the dates? It is October 15th through 17th. Yep. So the 15th is the Thursday. That is uh, going to be all Texas based designers that kind of mm -hmm. sticks to our roots. The 16th, the Friday is the black designers show. Nice. And then uh, Saturday, the 17th is the 24 hour uh, global show. We've got about, I think I, I looked this morning, I think we're like 70 something designers and um, wow. Jay with his million designers that he knows is going to, is going to stack us with a bunch more, right, Jay? Um, yep, he's yep. going to get right on it as soon as we get off this uh, podcast. Um, yeah. And designers literally from all over the world. So and the, yeah, there's still room for designers to, to get involved. Absolutely. And because everyone's just submitting videos, um, anyone really can do it at any time. We've even said, Jay and I have had conversations, if you, if you don't know how to create a video, surely you have photography and we can help you at least put kind of a slideshow video together um, that'll be compelling enough and, and help you get brand out there. 
Uh, Jay, maybe we need to submit a couple, a uh, little video of the Dapper Villains bags and the face masks. Absolutely. Do it. Hi, everybody. Do it. <laughs> we'll Do get it. Jay naked, cover him in baby <laughs> oil, and put the face mask on him. I'm put Jay, and mask. I'm Dana. Today, we're going to talk about... <laughs> Shit. you can have yeah. two strategically placed uh actually you know what i want to do i want to do like those like you know vhs tape kind of filter on it and uh do like really old kind of clip and uh make it you hilarious. really are into the like weird 80s porn aren't you yeah. that's really your <laughs> I, I feel like no, that's I'm, where I'm this in, is going <laughs> i'm into porn in general but, but, uh, bush he's the only guy yeah. his age i know who loves bush that's how that's how you can tell i'm a republican <laughs> <laughs> all this time he thought that that what it, that's what it meant <laughs> all right we're ending the show on a very high note so matt online where can yep. where can people find out about the show online yeah so uh go to fashion by events so fashion by events.com that's uh everywhere you can go buy tickets there you can go sign up as a designer there you can also follow on instagram at fashion by events same thing on facebook but i'm assuming y'all are a, more of an instagram friendly show is my guess um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah just just google fashion by events that works too awesome. um you should you should pop up first yeah Matt, man, thank you so much for taking the time. I really thank like you so what much. you're doing. I'm excited for your view on the future of events in fashion. I think it's going to be mm. exciting next couple of years for you, for sure, and for us observing and taking part. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for having me, guys. It's fun yeah, to talk yeah, absolute, for a while. Absolutely very unique episode for us yeah. uh, from a very unique perspective, yet very important for our industry, for sure. Absolutely. All right, man, have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank Y'all you. Too. All right, that's it. Thank you, Matt. This will go out next week. Okay. We'll, make sure you send, we'll send you the links and we'll, we'll get this blasted out to everyone. Yeah. We'll on our end too. All right, man. Thank you. Sweet. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. What an awesome kind of episode, Jay. Very interesting perspective on platform. What would you think? Yeah, it's, it's about time we had somebody uh, uh, that organizes events in the show and uh, – you know, he was definitely a very uh, cool guest. Uh, obviously, we chose to cut out the 10 questions part, the sartorial mm. questions that we usually ask because uh, he's a different guest. Uh, mm. And uh, I think that um, uh, we, 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 the, the subject we are going to talk about is a whole new subject anyways, and it's a new perspective mm. as well. And, I love his uh, perspective on inclusion, like the, the black designer. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, that was that was definitely very beautiful. And, and it also like I mean how inclusion yeah, how yeah. how inclusion comes together with designing mm. aspect of of it yeah. as well. Yeah, the, like having inclusive design challenges like a model in a wheelchair. That's a creative problem to solve for and that I think the designer exactly. is, is the perfect yeah. one to address it. But I, I was going to say I think it's fuck that people give him pushback about having because of American politics, a special day, a, a black yeah. designer showcase. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Like, like I, he, there, he, he even said specifically it's black American designers is this showcase. 13% of the population, they need a special showcase to get their voices heard. It, it makes yeah. sense. And if, if the show is about startups, you know, what yeah. best to use the platform for, you know, yeah. like uh, everybody's talking about supporting uh, uh, black businesses and, and um, 
startups in general. And uh, this time mm -hmm. is when everybody needs the most help. You know, I, I the backlash was, is insane. It's it's stupid, yeah. but uh, yeah, he handled it. He explained it to yeah. us. How, it was interesting how he explained that you know this is something that he's been looking at as a trend for like three four years, that you know they yeah. had like eighty percent of his small package purchases were black fashion brands, black designers, and when he went to mm. them and was like, hey, how come you've never upgraded to the bigger package? He's like, a lot of them were just saying. Like, look, you know, I've, I work three jobs. I'm not making enough money from fashion to really afford to upgrade. But like, I love having the smaller package as a show. And he was saying these were some of his favorite designers that went into his shows. So mm. he wanted to create the opportunity for them to get more exposure. I think it's a fantastic way to do it. And now Absolutely. with it being virtual, everything's free. Mm. Well, at least yeah, show me your tattoo again. That tattoo is cool as fuck, man. This one? Now that I, yeah. I need to get one as well um, on my hairy arms. Uh, well, why don't we go get the dapper villain back guy? I, that's exactly what I was thinking just now. But Let's uh, do it. And that would be a very cool uh, episode on its own. Yeah. A little vlog action with the dapper villain tattoos. Yeah, yeah. I have to pretend not to cry uh, while <laughs> I'm getting a tattoo. I Actually, surprisingly, it doesn't hurt me at all. Like it, 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 it it's highly addictive. Like especially when you're on the second tattoo, you're like, I want the fourth. I fell asleep six. during my last tattoo. It's more about like the strain on the arm, like yeah. where you have to just place it in one position well, you, you for a while, them, right? Yeah, the, I, um, I got the second one, but I, I was thinking like something about sartorialism because yeah. I don't think I, I, I don't think I'm gonna not do this anyway. Yeah. So you know that's a commitment enough let's do it let's do it <laughs> let's make it happen all right so well, should thank we you for here and make him get it with us i think i think we should uh at this point um the show is getting so real like yeah. uh you know like uh the guests that we're getting is so diverse and i, I think we have you know we had a model mm. we had a uh, event uh, owner like and and clothiers of course bunch of clothiers that's what our job is but uh, yeah. um, it's been so it's, just, it's been such a blessing uh, the amount of guests we have had the amount of viewers uh, yeah I want to thank everybody who, who you yeah. know as, if you're sticking to this long means uh, you're you're a very loyal fan so I we're getting and this is the thing I, I was telling you before the show we had last week was our best week download wise like more listeners last week than we've ever had in downloading old episodes so it's clearly resonating yeah thank you so much yeah. for being part of this community with us yeah yeah and i, I know celebrities say this all the time that oh, we want to thank the fans mm. but uh like when i really see the numbers and i really see yeah it's it, it is them who motivate us to do yeah, more absolutely uh, you know because we both have days where we we you know break our backs doing our uh, I don't break my backs I'm a Maharaja and I order people but uh, you do you or you actually do the work and uh, you yeah. know you're, you're tired at the end of the day and uh, and uh, the viewers are, are what is motivating us to do yeah you know this. it's good when I know that I'm busy though especially with the dapper villains because it means Jay's selling yeah 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 selling more than just his sexy body to milfs at the pool <laughs> <laughs> all right man on that note uh... <laughs> on that note jay's a gigolo on that note guys thank you so much for for tuning in for this episode if you're a designer out there though if you are 
like a designer, you have a brand, you have a line, you have even a small collection, right? Check out Fashion by Austin Fashion Week. They have a whole international showcase. It doesn't yep. cost anything for you as a designer. You film it yourself, you send it there, and they will highlight you and put you out there. I think Jay and I are going to do it with our bags. We have uh, two bags in our new line that are launching. So, mm -hmm. and I can rush out our whale mouth in the next week and we can get that out there as well. So, yeah, guys, we would love clip. to be on that platform yeah. with all of you who listen to this show. So, please do. Let them know that you heard about it on Dapper Villains. And until next time, stay dapper. Stay dapper. Stay, stay villainous. villainous.